0: Hello and you are very welcome along to this week's RT Rugby Podcast. The Autumn Nation series is behind us from an Ireland point of view. 13-10 win against Australia last weekend. Makes it 3 out of 3 for Ireland, but plenty of work to do heading into next season. We'll also be talking about the URC back this weekend with Ulster and Zebra on Friday night. Leinster taking on Glasgow Warriors on Saturday. But the big game of the weekend is Munster against Connacht Saturday evening. At Towman Park, delighted to be joined by Bernard Jackman and Mick Carney again this week, guys. How are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, well, thanks. Good. Thanks very for having me. You're very welcome. Mick, big game this weekend. Terenure repeated the repeat of the final. How are you set for that?
1: Massive game, massive. Yeah, getting there now. Uh, we obviously have um, a bit of disappointment of losing the last fixture against Young Monster away. Uh, so. It was a nice bit of bite training last night, which is uh, exactly what you'd want going
0: into a fixture like this. Bert, you could do worse than paying your, your tenor in the gate for that at Castle Avenue on Saturday afternoon, yeah?
2: Yeah, it's going to be a great atmosphere. Um, and then on the pitch, I think you're going to have two really good teams. Uh, Turner being going, going really well, um, but obviously Tar for the champions. And um, yeah, you, you, I expect Tar to step back up again after that defeat to you in Munster. But that's yeah, going to be a great game. Yeah, it's going yeah. to be really
0: good. Yeah, it'd be fantastic. If it's anything like the the All-Ireland League final a few months ago, it'd Be would uh, be well worth going to or checking out the highlights next week. But guys, we'll, we'll get straight into the Ireland stuff. So, <clears throat> Birch, three wins out of three. Overall, though, the tone seems to be, from an Ireland point of view, there's still a lot more work to do in 2023. I mean, if you were to compare this to the reaction after after 2018 when Ireland had a fantastic season, it's definitely a more... A more realistic tone at the moment, I think, and a more I suppose foundation is probably what it is rather than the end the end product at the moment, isn't
2: it? Yeah, for sure. And I think obviously we've learned from 2018 where maybe we got a bit ahead of ourselves. Plus um I think the nature of the wins. I mean, two very tight wins in in, in the autumn, um, international rugby. The quality is so compact at the moment. I mean, you know, you're seeing um, very tight test matches. You're seeing, um, you know, teams like Wales get beaten by Georgia. Australia get beaten by Italy. Um, uh, Australia nearly being able to beat Ireland, you know, te- definitely could have had a draw. At, um, at least if they had a went for a kick. Um, South Africa, who have had two losses, but I-, I think they're in a good place, you know, um, in terms of their squad development, in terms of how they're playing. So yeah, I think we're very aware that the world number one, it's great to have it, but realistically, um you know, I think the top six or seven teams can beat each other on any given day and and we have areas to work on, and we we probably the uh, the part of the game that got us to number one in the world, which is this attacking game, has um hasn't functioned as well. um and that's because the opposition have have clear plans to to stop us. So now it's a case of being able to evolve that um and get that back functioning again despite the fact that um you know teams have have a clear philosophy around how to slow us down.
0: Mick, are you in the glass half full category or the, the glass half empty? Like are, are are teams cottoning onto Ireland and is that a bit worrying or are you seeing it as Ireland grinding out two hard fought wins against South Africa and Australia when they're not necessarily playing at their best? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely be
1: uh be glass half full. Um, as you said, I think it it was just it was two unbelievably attritional games, and from a point of view, um, for me looking at it like historically, taking Lenser as an example, you know they've struggled against kind of bigger packs, more physical teams, and I think with the South African game in particular, it was just it was great to see them go out there and like really impose themselves physically in the game and not not come undone there. I'd imagine Dave Rennie would be quite frustrated after the game on Saturday from the point of view that Tupo goes down injured. Um, and I think from an impact off the bench uh kind of standpoint, he was thinking, right, I'm gonna have Tupo on for the last kind of 25, 30 minutes, and then I'm gonna have skeleton on there with him. Um and you know, there are two kind of um body shapes that that Ireland might have struggled against in in more recent times. Um but going back going back to your more recent point, uh glass half full for me, I think it's two two great wins. The games, as Burchs mentioned, could have gone either way. But uh I think Ireland should just be delighted to come out the right side of it because at the end of the day, winning winning's a habit, you know. So if they can keep stacking wins on wins, uh it can only stand them in good stead going into the next couple of months.
0: Yeah, and obviously, like only the second time they've ever beaten. Australia, New Zealand and South Africa in a in a calendar year as well. But Bert, you mentioned the the attack and how South Africa and Australia have se- like, seemed like seem to get a, a good read defensively on, on what Ireland were doing. Can you give us a, an idea of what it was that South Africa and Australia have been doing and what they've seen in the Ireland attack that they were kind of able to able to counter so well?
2: Yeah, look, I think um it's about stopping the rhythm. Stopping the Ireland rhythm, don't let them play tempo. Um being very aware of, of of marking the ball rather and the the man as such, so the second man plays that um, Ireland played a little bit in the second half. Um, there was no no opportunity for so when they played through the first set of forwards at the back, and then you know you got your hard runners. We've been loose to splitting teams in half there and getting soft carries, getting offloads, but we were shut down. Um, very similar to what Larishell did against Leinster, and and Leinster plan is, is quite similar to Ireland's plan. Um, not surprisingly, um, given so many players double up. But, um, yeah, it's it's been nice to compact in your D um, and then being very physical at the breakdown and being willing to give away penalties. So, uh, like, if you think about it, Australia, Australia's discipline was poor, but most of the ill discipline was on the attacking breakdown, um, you know, with, with obviously the neck rolls. Uh, um, neck rolls, yeah, but they, they managed to slow Ireland's ball down very well, um, on defensive breakdowns as well, without giving away many penalties, and just make the game stop, start, um, take away flow, um, don't let Ireland get any soft uh repossessions in the air and in the contestables. You know, and Ireland actually probably took a step back in terms of their aerial ability this November, um, which had been a strength for them. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's just being able to do it. You know what I mean. And the bigger, more physical teams have the. Capacity to to do that, um, and Australia, I think, in terms of athleticism, are, are you know are, are a powerful team, and and obviously you know that was with Tupu not being able to um, you know play play for long, but we saw Skelton just that one good carry he gets, you know, just creates um, a disorganization in the Irish defensive line, and, and, and it's a try, and um, you know I think that's teams like Australia, uh, South Africa, France, that's always going to be an area of concern for us. The, just the physical power they have.
0: Very, very quickly on Australia, Birch. Like, how did, in terms of broad strokes, how, how did you think they went on Saturday? Because obviously we had we were chatting to to Christy Doran during the week, and yeah. they've been terribly out of form. And you know, if they lose this weekend against Wales, it's potentially the the worst year the international side have ever had. How how do you see them twelve months out from a World Cup, considering they are on the the softer side of the draw?
2: Yeah, look. I I spent some time on Friday in in their camp, and um, you could sense the pressure. You know, you could sense the pressure. Uh, but I think what you saw was a team who, who, who certainly believe in Dave Rennie and the coaching staff. I mean, they're aware of the of the the rumours that they need to beat Wales or Ireland to um for to, to keep Rennie in a job. And I think what we saw was an incredibly committed. Um, fired up Wallabies who want to get a, a a win and and keep him in the job. They believe in him. They've got a good coaching staff. They've just been riddled with injuries. I mean, so unlucky. Um, going back to the to the Wallabies um series against against England in the summer when Craig Cooper got injured in the warm up, all the way through and a game and the game at the weekend. I mean, you know the the amount of injuries they had during the game and and now they have guys um. I saw Will Skelton at the airport Sunday morning heading to La Rochelle because this test is outside the window. You know, um Michael Hooper's no ruled
0: out as of, as of this morning as well.
2: Yeah, they're just getting no break whatsoever and and you know they play Wales, they needed the, the money. I think this, this test is worth 2 million to them. Wales are playing them 2 million to play this extra test. Um but Dave Rennie 6 weeks ago when he when they met up couldn't have predicted that um you know the squad who plays Wales this weekend would be as um as badly affected by by everything, you know. And um I, I think they'll beat Wales. I, I I think they'll beat Wales. And I actually think they have a their team with a lot of potential. Uh, they're the on the wrong the easy side of the draw the World Cup, obviously their group isn't that easy, but if they can get through that, which they will, um I, I, I think they you bring you bring Karevi back in there, you bring Craig Cooper back in there. I thought the halfbacks played a much smarter kicking game at the weekend. Um, and this tour will have actually found them two or three players as well. So um I don't think Australian rugby is is um is gonna stay where they are at the moment, eight in the world. I think they're better than that. Um you know, I don't think they're gonna win the World Cup, but I think they're um they're certainly not I wouldn't write them off yet at all.
0: Yeah, and we mentioned Tani Taniela as well, big doubt for the World Cup now as well after that Achilles injury, that would be a massive blow for him. But Mick on the, the Irish side of things, excuse me. You spoke about the, we're talking glass half full. What are the, like in terms of the positives to take from it? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of throwing out ideas here. One of the, the positives I would take from it is the efficiency of the attack when they actually were in a position to score. They they kind of struggled to get into that position a lot of the time, I think, aside from the Fiji game, really. But i I would look back to the games in New Zealand over the summer and even some of the Six Nations games where they were, really hitting it on attack and getting so many opportunities and probably leaving a half a dozen try-scoring opportunities back out on the pitch in every single game. But if you look at the South Africa game, they got two tries off a small amount of real, real good opportunities. And again, on Saturday, they just had the one try. But aside from the try, they did score. There was maybe that 10-minute period in the first half where they had a lot of control in the 2022. Aside from that, they didn't... They didn't get many other opportunities, so at the very least, they were converting the majority of the chances they were getting.
1: No, for sure. I thought they were incredibly clinical.
0: You know, a lot of the work that they were doing, um, into the seam around
1: lineout time, they'd obviously done their homework there, like bringing bringing Doris into the seam, having Dan Sheehan come around into that space, obviously by the seam. I mean, the back of the lineout and and the first defender for Australia. But as as Birch mentioned, when a team or when teams are going as heavy at the breakdown defensively as Australia and South Africa were, like it makes it an unbelievably difficult game. Like again, as Birch mentioned, getting out of your flow like in key positions is like it can completely like stifle attack, you know, and trying to trying to get that momentum again is, is very, very difficult. You know, you need to have a big carry from someone, or you need, you know, someone to just get a half yard through the defensive line. But if you're playing against big bodies, like it's it's a very very tough thing to do, you know. Obviously, when Ireland got into the red zone, the few opportunities they had in both of those games, they they converted, and again, that's a that's a really positive sign going forward. You know, they need they need to execute getting into those areas, because um, because if they don't, like teams are so good at exiting nowadays, and so good at getting back into your territory, that you know it becomes it becomes a tough challenge if. Uh, if you're not, if you're not very clinical in those spaces,
0: were the exits part of the reason they found themselves under a lot of pressure in that first half as well? Mick? like there were some of those kicks they just weren't getting it. They weren't getting a real distance on on the kicks to touch. They were probably only bringing them up maybe between the twenty-two and the ten-meter line, and you're still kind of under a little bit of pressure in that regard. Is that kind of something to work on next year? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. You know, and, and again, there's there's loads to that. Like the more effective Ireland can be in terms of their their exit malls, I suppose. You know, if they can get if they can get that rolling, you know, then they suddenly have a kick or run option as opposed to just just the kick option. You know, you want that winger, you want the opposition winger on the edge to have to make a decision to go. Okay, well, am I gonna am I gonna stay high here or am I gonna am I gonna drop back? And obviously, if he drops back, you can you can have a bit of a crack, and you might be kicking from thirteen as opposed to kicking from from nine and ten. And you know, hopefully, you're getting you're getting a bit more distance out of your exits then.
0: And Birch on the other side of the ball defensively, Australia had upwards of eight minutes possession in the Irish twenty-two alone on Saturday, and probably even more if you're talking just outside it. But to concede just twenty six points against the wallabies and South Africa in games where they were under a lot of pressure defensively, that's a that's a pretty good win for, for Simon Easterby and the work he's doing on, on defence.
2: Oh uh, look, I think Simon Easterby um and his section have had a, a very positive um November while well, probably all the plots have been going to our attack and, and some of our line-out detail, Paul O'Connell, Mike Cass, uh, this November has been Simon Easterby's time to shine. And, uh, um you know, the Wallabies, uh, as, as Mick has said, is you know they've got powerful athletes, they've got footwork, um they've got a very intricate attacking system. Scott, Scott Weiss, Mantle, you know, the most travelled um, attack coach has, has implemented. It's dangerous and I thought we never panicked. Um, our discipline was was very strong. Our 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 tackle technique selection um was was excellent. Our spacing, everything about our defence was um was excellent. And you know they had a massive focus all week on the attacking breakdown because they respected that Ireland. Um, in terms of stats, at the third most turnovers in, in in tier one countries with Omani and Tyburn being the biggest threats, and they dealt with that you know really well. The Aussies were very aware of how dangerous Ireland were there, so. Um I think it was it was it was phenomenal and it gives us massive confidence because we need to be able to win different ways. You know, we we probably don't have the scrum, you know, we don't we don't have the scrum of the Georgians who can beat Wales with with a scrum alone. Um uh, you know, we, we, we don't have our line at mall think about it, you know, the 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 Josh Renner Fleer try against South Africa. I mean it's a worldly, it's 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 not something that you would back on, you know, um again and and, and we tried it against we went there for that front spin against mm. Australia, and we didn't score off it. So, and that's a sign. I mean, you know, that's a sign that we we don't, we know we don't feel we have the power to to, to drive them over with a conventional one. So we're looking for we're looking for wrinkles. And even the Caelan Doris play, you know, it was brilliant. Um, but it's probably sign the fact that we had to go to that because we knew we didn't have the tools to to maul them over. So if we don't have a, a hugely dominant scrum, a hugely dominant maul, um, and they can stop our attack, we need we need to defend and and. I think you know the lads will have got massive massive faith in that and assurance that we can we can stop stop teams when we when we lose the possession battle.
0: Yeah and I thought it was really interesting you mentioned the the mall they tried for the, you know the Josh der Fleer try against South Africa when they did go for it again against Australia. It's just really interesting to see how how teams can kind of prepare because you saw as it spun around towards the towards the near touchline I I think it was Nick White and possibly another Australian defender were just there waiting for it to happen. I, I just thought it was a really interesting kind of example of a team does something one week and opposition have it studied and are ready for it to happen. It's just a kind of a, an an interesting way of seeing how the defense works. Yeah, absolutely. And that's 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 a challenge and that's why um you
2: know the, the next time we try like Cale and Doris peel, you know, the tail gunner will 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 probably get there a little bit earlier and, yeah. and it won't be as obvious. But look at that's the that's the beauty of international rugby and that's the the beauty for the likes of Paul O'Connell or or, or Simon East to be or Mike cat they now have from now till February effectively to look at you know what's their what's their preferred strike plays you know in in the first two games and then just build on that so it's a it's a game of um you know cat and mouse and you know I, that's why I said I spent two and a half hours with their analyst and it was just you know I looked at their Ireland preview and it was 60 pages now obviously some of that is is uh, uh is too much information but the key the key points around you know where Ireland's strengths were what Ireland's rocks are how we're we going to take them away where Ireland's weaknesses are and you know uh, uh, something like that that front peel you know was obviously something that was flagged talked about and a plan was put in place and uh, yeah it, it's harder to go repeat but in 6 or 7 games again time to take it out of
0: out of the uh game plan book you know yeah dust it off once more Mick, on um in terms of personnel, I suppose it's one of the positives from the from the last few weeks. Three games, three starts for for three different out halves, and I know obviously one of those was twenty minutes beforehand with Jack Jack Crowley coming in for Johnny Sexton. But I think if you were to ask a lot of people before this window, what did they want to see? They wanted to see at least one, possibly two other out halves getting a start during the during the three matches. Absolutely, absolutely. I think if you ask the majority of the public
1: pre. Emerging Ireland tour, uh, you know the famed tour that I think, if the provinces are being honest, they didn't really want to happen. Uh, if you ask the public, Jesus, do you think Jack Crowley is going to start one of the November tests? You know, they'd all say no, absolutely not. You know, just Jack's kind of, he's maybe not even getting his foot in the door in Munster as much as much as he'd like at the moment. Um, so it's a it's a huge positive. Um. And I thought, like considering the circumstances, he had a he had a cracking game on Saturday. I thought he was massively helped out by having Stu McCluskey outside him just from a almost from a comforting point of view. You know, if he was in any kind of doubt, he'd just ship it off to Stu. And the likelihood of, of him going forward or getting a bit of gain line was was pretty high, you know. Um, but I thought, you know, uh all the tens played well in the three games, but but in particular on Saturday, the the energy and the variety that that Crowley brought, like there was times defensively where I seen him kind of trying to barge rocks, you know, which is fairly unconventional for a ten. Uh, but yeah, look, obviously, the the big topic is if Johnny goes down, who's going to step in? And as you mentioned, seeing two guys get get plenty of game time, I think is is a massive positive. How
0: did you how did you think he went on on Saturday, Birch? Given like I mean. Given the size of the occasion, given the fact he was brought in twenty minutes beforehand, given the fact that he's played twenty odd games for Munster in his professional career, like this was an enormous step up in, in every sense. How did you how did you think he went?
2: No, I I think he did perfectly uh, fine. Um, given the way the game went, and we were kind of stuck in our own twenty two for so long. Um, given the fact that we didn't have any quality ball. Um, I I thought he 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 showed enough when he got opportunities to, to to touch it, um, that he was well well capable. That was a huge test match to come into, and and anyone expecting him to have a man in the match performance, um, in in his first start with a late late entry to the game, plus the way the game went, the game wasn't you know um Ireland on the front foot, um, but I thought in the second half before he went off, I thought he started to show his array of passing, um, we know he's comp- he's got a lot of composure. You know everybody who's worked with him and works with him feel he has this um level of confidence and self belief and drive that's that's going to be the the point of difference for him. You know um and that's not knocking others. And Ross Byrne has it as well. Um, he has that belief in in himself and and ability to um to have big moments. But I I just think it's been a brilliant um it's been a brilliant November for him in that. Uh, he's got his first cap plus he's got that chance to start uh, because let's be honest opportunities are going to be rare you know um,
0: we're going to six nations now with but obviously the, the two big teams coming to Dublin in other uh, in o- like I mean in other circumstances all, if everything had gone to plan
1: yeah.
0: Jack Crowley potentially could have been waiting another two years to yes. start a test match like Australia 100%
2: 100% so it, I actually think it's a, it's going to work out well in, in Ireland's favour and his favour What's going to be massive now is um is him starting for Munster, you know that's going to be a huge part of his development. I don't see him getting a huge amount of time for Ireland um in the Six Nations. So, but obviously then that keeps Joey out. Uh, so it depends on how long, how Joey's injury is. It's probably unfortunate that both our second and third choice ten are playing the same same team. But I uh, I suppose from the other point of view, Joey's been so unlucky with injuries to to get a run of games. If if Crowdie gets ahead of Ben Healy um he naturally will get some decent game time and probably you know with either Connor or, or or Craig, you know, who maybe is his uh his partner coming off the bench for Ireland or or whatever. So um yeah it's 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 impo- it's really important that we found that next guy in line after Johnny and, and 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 Joey. And obviously let's be honest Ross Ross put his hand up again um because he was seemed to be in the wilderness and I just think um Farrell now knows if he needs someone who has the ability to have a clutch moment. Um, you know Ross Ross won't be found wanting.
0: Yeah, and whether or not it leads to more caps for Ross Burn, we'll find out down the line. But just for the moment of itself, Mick, it was just it was it was just a really really nice thing to for for Ross Burn to be able to have because he's someone I think in his previous thirteen caps has been chucked into some fairly unforgiving situations across it like you think of that game against England at Twickenham just before the last world cup which was kind of held against him for a long time but i mean jesus he was thrown into the wolves in that one with an ireland team that had been run off their feet in portugal for several days it was it was a hiding to nothing and he's had a few tough tough outings since then for ireland but we we spoke to him afterwards in the the kind of mix zone and on like honestly i i can't remember seeing a player Buzzing to that extent. Because normally like you know, you know, like you know yourself, a lot of you guys you will try play it down a little bit after matches, you'll try kind of play it cool, not give away too much. But I mean, he actually had to pause himself at one point and apologize and say, sorry, that I'm just I'm still pumping with adrenaline here. This was about an hour after the match when he was showered in his suit. It was actually just it was really, really refreshing to see someone embrace the moment like that and just just a lovely moment to cap off a game like that for him. No, big
1: time. Like I, I can only imagine how much of a nightmare it is for you guys when when someone has a big kicking moment like that and they turn (laughs) around and thank the fellow who brought on the tea. You know, so instead of just like firstly, I'm absolutely delighted for us. As you mentioned, like he's he's been he's been thrown into a couple of environments, England away, like which is like it's an unbelievably tough tough fixture. No matter who you have in your team, um, but to see him step up like that and. Just just confirm his temperament. You know, he's known for having massive stones and you know being being very calm and in high pressure situations. Like if look, even looking back to the Champions Cup quarterfinal against Ulster a number of years ago, you know, he's literally cramping pre-kick from the touchline, steps up, knocks it over. Grand. And uh looking at that the last day against Australia, I, I felt like when when Ireland got the penalty. And he was on. I know James Ryan's mentioned that, you know, he didn't even have to think about making a decision. Yeah. Like Ross Burns just saying, yeah, give me the ball. It's grand. And he obviously, he he did the business. So so fair play to him. Um, and I'm delighted to hear he was like that after as well, because I, I think that's something that needs to be more prominent in rugby. You know, if someone, someone does something well, they've prepared all week to do something well, when they actually pull it off, you know they need to they need to credit themselves for that. Um, don't be wrong. I know the team helps you and they put you in that situation, but at the same time, I think a level of kind of brashness needs to come into the game from a from an entertainment point of view as much as anything.
0: Yeah, and and Bertschuk, if there's one position you probably want a bit of brashness in, it's a it's a number ten, isn't it? Yeah, well, the fella
2: um, who starts for Ireland has has plenty of it. <laughs> uh, What's his name <laughs> it hasn't, hasn't, hasn't held him back. Look, I think uh, Ross hasn't, and he hadn't since he was in school, but I coached him um, in 2011. He was on Dan Levy's cup team, and uh, he had this sense of um, belief in himself that was contagious and drove everybody else on. And, uh, I mean, he's very highly regarded in Leinster. Leinster, you know, if it wasn't for Ross Byrne, Leinster probably would have made a bigger Case to keep Joey, you know. Leinster felt that Joey was best positioned. For Leinster would have been a fullback rather than ten because they're very comfortable with with Johnny and obviously Ross. And um, so yeah, it, people who work with him appreciate him more, I think, than maybe some of the the fans because you don't see, you know, you don't see the flash stuff that you know Joey can do, and 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 that's really important. You know, Mark Smith stuff. Um, it's just lots of ways to skin a cat. But what Ross brings his team is, um. A lot of assurance and uh, a lot of direction, and the ability then to to deal with pressure very well. So I think it's brilliant. I mean, um, you know, given he must have thought he wasn't going to get back into the Irish team when he, when his brother was getting picked, um, you know, for Ireland. And I understand why, because Harry's a talented kid. Um, but realistically, Ross was ahead of Milenster, and that must have been, um you know, uh so difficult to process, you know, mentally. Um, and obviously, you know, then to get that chance, to get that chance due to you know getting back into a squad this week, but obviously Johnny looking like he's fit, you're not gonna play. You wonder will you get back in, you know, when Joey's back in the in the summer, uh, or in, in the Six Nations, when Joey's back from injury, um, you have Jack Carty, you have Billy Burns playing every week, whereas obviously Ross doesn't get to play every week if Johnny's playing um and to get that chance, of, whatever, 15 minutes. Uh, left to come on and then obviously you have that kick which is just made for him so delighted for him and, and, and like there's lots of guys out there who, who are, not lots of guys like him but there's guys out there who can do it just don't ever get the chance
0: yeah and it's just getting that little tiny break is just the the all important thing if we're if we're flipping that on ahead into into next year and kind like of said like we obviously don't know what the future is going to hold for Ross Byrne he could be in the Six Nations he might not be we'll have to wait and see but who are you even coming out of players who might, might have got a small bit of a run over the last few weeks even guys who didn't get a run over the last few weeks who would you be potentially trying to buy a little bit of stock in now in 2023 in terms of players or or who do you think whose stock price has kind of risen dramatically in the last few weeks like I imagine Jack Crowley's obviously one. is is Jimmy O'Brien up there as well
2: yeah Jimmy Jimmy O'Brien for sure because obviously his versatility um, his left foot um and that you know there's gonna be one or two players who go to the World Cup even though the squad is extended to thirty three who are able to cover multiple positions. Um and you know the South Africa match coming on thirteen. Um you know early in the game obviously. Um the fact that he he they uses his, his with well, Joe James out, they obviously need a left footer. Um so his idea for that um in the backfield for exits and then obviously being a play in the wing. And I, and he's a very good player, you know. It was interesting. He's in the Seaweb about four years ago. I asked him how to pick a player, you know, that, that was going to come true that maybe a lot of people didn't know about. He named he named uh, Jimmy O'Brien. So, um, and obviously, you know, he was he was able to see him in, in Leinster. And I think he's come true. He hasn't come true overnight, but he's come true slowly, um, taking his chance, building his repertoire. And um, his form for this year for Leinster has been excellent. So I think he's done really well. I actually think Treadwell, um, and Mick, obviously, you've you played with him, but I think he could be a guy you want as your impact lock um, off the bench just to give you some carries um, late in the game. I'm not saying you know he'd start all against Ireland, but I think he he had a decent um, a decent November and and puts him very much in the picture to be in match 23s. Um And then Finney Belem, you know that that second half against South Africa, um, I think it eases a lot of tension and and, and fear um around a backup to Tig. Um they're obviously different, but I think he's shown he's shown that he can can pin a scrum down um under pressure. And um yeah I think that and obviously then you probably look at that Ireland A game against the All Black fifteen and you know the people who played in that probably a, a lot of those didn't get didn't put their hand up. So you know but for me it's Treadwell um it's Jimmy O'Brien it's Finney Beelham um as the non kind of kind of first choice players yeah. who who um who, who
0: did well out this November. Anyone out of the kind of the main crop of players, Mick, that we kind of haven't really given enough credit over the last few weeks.
1: Um like I thought the guys who generally go about their business quietly but do their job really well just did that again. You know, the likes of James Ryan, you know, just got through a mountain of work as always. Um but none of it was like overly flash stuff,
0: you know. Called the line out really well. Um, Ryan produced a couple of big individual moments over those over those couple. Of, I mean, you look back at the that line out steal just before halftime against the the Springboks game. If they score a try there, it is a completely different match. Hundred percent. Same. Same against the Aussies. Like you got a steal. <clears throat>
1: I think it was about ten meters out against the Aussies, uh, which which was a a massive moment as well. Um, but I, I thought the main, you know, the main frontliners, uh, the body of work that they got through, like they they just went went about it in a very impressive manner. Um, but at the same time, it was it was kind of expected from them as well. You know, they've they've set a level of performance that's that's kind of here now. Um and it's almost their it's almost just their level. You know, people are more surprised when they drop below it as opposed to when they're kind of on it or, or slightly above it, which is which is a great place for, for Ireland to be.
0: Yeah, and if we're talking about players who are on it at, at that level every single week, Josh van der Fleer, obviously World Player of the Year on Sunday night. Like, I think I think given his performances over the last year, we've kind of just become conditioned to him playing unbelievably well every single week and we're kind of no longer surprised by it when it does happen but when you just look at, put it beside the, the names of the people who've won it third Irish player only to ever win it beside Johnny Sexton and, and Keith Wood and if you just even just look at some of the back rows who've won that award like Peter stefft uh you have Thierry Dueseswar Richie McCaw, I mean we're talking some of the all-time greats of of the back row and of World Rugby on that list
1: Absolutely, Absolutely. and I suppose I was lucky enough to uh, Spend a number of years with Josh in Leinster, you know, and he's mentioned it himself. It didn't hasn't always gone his way. You know, there, there was other back rows playing in that position who were uh, maybe in better form. Uh, the likes of the likes of Will Connors, who was playing unbelievable rugby for, for a period of time before injuries kind of gone on top of him a small bit. And hopefully, you now fingers crossed he comes out of comes out the other side of that soon. But Josh is just the ultimate example of persistence. You know, he just shows up every day. He's constantly trying to improve. He's constantly working on his game and, and not just like one or two elements of it. Don't get me wrong. He knows what his strengths are and he's constantly trying to turn them into kind of super strengths per se. Um, But then he kind of knows the stuff that he's maybe not at the level that he wants to be at. And he, he's constantly just, you know, hammering the rock on that. Uh, He's, he's an unbelievable example unbelievable example to like not just young players but all players as to how he goes about his business and how he how he does his work and then aside from that he's an unbelievably nice fella he's one of he is literally one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet and um, so he's uh he's a proper full package
0: yeah like uh bert we were out at the hbc a couple of maybe it's a couple of days after he'd been last week it was just after he'd been kind of nominated for the award and we were saying like it seems like every time we speak to you, Josh, you're either getting nominated for award or you're after winning one, whether it was rugby riders a few weeks back or it was European Player of the Year, Leinster's Player of the Year, uh the what is the the Irish uh, Rugby Players Association. But as, as Mick kind of alluded to, it's just over 18 months ago. It's less than two years ago when he wasn't really in the picture with Ireland. Will Connors was ahead of him. And I know part of his, you know, Will Connors has gone through injury hell since then. And that kind of opened the door. But it's it's not so much even the fact that he's been unbelievable for 12, 18 months now. It's the fact that he had to, first of all, get back into the team to do it. He wasn't kind of doing it based, you know, with a nice foundation of I'm going to be here in the team every single week.
2: No, and I, but also I think credit to him. He's evolved this game. Um, and particularly that that ball carry aspect. Um, you know, Will Connors is, made his name and, and got into the team as a outstanding defender and Will has got so many other um, strings to his bow mm. um, Josh Fleer. Josh I remember you know um, coming through age grade as a youngster in, in Leinster was um, just incredibly high work race you know because uh, incredibly high work race but he wasn't a ball carrier and I think that that ability to add that layer to his own uh, strength and the effectiveness of it um, has, has made him you know go from being in the mix to being world player of the year and a key guy for, for Ireland. And and there's lots of competition. There's lots of good sevens in Ireland. Um, but at the moment you you couldn't see any of them push Josh Van der Fleer out of the team. Um and it, it suits the it's just the balance of the back row as well that Ireland are are, are going with um the, the way Josh the way Josh plays. So I look at credit to him. It's very difficult to evolve your game to that extent. You generally see people making small improvements, but he's transformed his ball carrying and that's been, I think, the area that's pushed him ahead of of a lot of other good sevens in Ireland.
0: Yeah, uh, certainly has. And I think he's well, well deserving of a world player of the year and congratulations to him. Uh, On the URC, URC back this weekend, Ulster, Zebras, Friday night, Leinster and Glasgow 3.15 on Saturday afternoon and then at 7.35 at Tomah Park as Munster against Connacht we'll we'll start on that one and I'll talk about Connacht first actually guys um Mick for you first like obviously in the last couple of weeks Andy Friend confirmed he's leaving and I know he said yesterday it's it's something that the players and everyone at Connacht has pretty much known for some people 12 months some people even longer than that but even though it's been in the pipeline it it's something they need to be wary about that the season doesn't fizzle out because over the last few weeks just before the break they started to get things back on track back on track they had three wins out of, out of four, pulled one out of the fire against the Ospreys. So they're kind of coming into this with a nice little run of form together. And it's just important that it doesn't all fizzle out over the course of the season, because we've seen it happen so many times when a coach announces they're going to depart.
1: Yeah, I think that's very, I think that's a very interesting point. Um, the only thing I would say about uh, the Andy Friend situation is, um, and I know he's done a lot of coaching over the last number of years, but in the last kind of twelve months, having spoken to a couple of the guys in contact, I don't think he's done a huge amount of coaching. I think the coaching reins have kind of been handed over to the likes of Pete Wilkins yeah. and and Mossy Lawler and uh, Devault, you know, to to look after the the rugby side of things, you know, and then Andy's maybe had some of the crapper conversations in terms of. You're playing this week. You're not playing that week. You know we're maybe not keeping you on at the end of the season. Like the really crap jobs, you know. Um, and finding someone to do that role is is pretty tough, you know, um, in general. But uh, I think from from a coaching point of view, the lads who are actually playing the games, there won't be a huge amount of complacency because they know the coaches that are
0: actually coaching them aren't. Really going anywhere next yeah, year? Like Pete's Pete's still going to be there. Devall's going to be, you know, all those all those guys are still going to be still going to be around next season. Yeah, and they're going to be they're going to be throwing throwing lads' names forward,
1: depending on their performance to, to whoever comes in. You know, so it's it's I can't see there being a massive amount of complacency from a playing point of view.
0: Um, I just think it's going to be really interesting to see who comes in next to replace Sandy Friend. It's it's set up really nicely for this weekend, Bernard, isn't it? Because you've obviously it's fresh in the memory the, the game in early October when connaughts completely outplayed Munster. And it looks I know Mac Hansen's a big injury now for Connacht, but it looks like they're gonna have the bulk of their internationals available. Uh Mike Prendergast said all of the Munster guys are gonna be there and ready to go. They've got players coming back from injury as well. So it looks like not only are you going to have a game with high stakes because a win is absolutely vital for both teams, but we're probably going to get two pretty good starting 15s out there as well this weekend.
2: Yeah, that's brilliant to hear that Munster have their internationals available because um, I wasn't I wasn't sure that I think Leinster
0: won't play. Um, I think it's won't. it's something along the lines of I think they, they can only play seven of the next nine yes. matches in this block or something. So it, it just looks like all things going to plan. They're going to have them out this weekend and maybe rest them in a game further down the line.
2: Yeah, and look, you can see why this is much must, must win for for Munster. Um, Connacht aren't in a bad position overall in terms of when you look at who they played. You know, um, obviously going to South Africa early, um, playing Leinster um at home. Um, they beat the Ospreys, probably be good. They didn't get a bonus point against the Ospreys. Um, you know, the Ospreys were missing their Welsh internationals, but they got that win, and they're kind of just kind of just about where they should be, but. Um, they're gonna to have to start picking up points and um you know this could a win away to Munster would be absolutely massive for, for them and and obviously would be a big blow to Munster. I, I thought there was enough in the in Munster's last performance against Ulster where you could see it starting to click. Obviously the Springbok match in, in Park and Queave um there would have been a huge feel good factor from from the nature of that and and that's probably all Munster needed to get it going. It was just a little bit of um uh, of confidence from a, a good performance, and I think they had, you know, a decent performance against Ulster uh, ball in hand anyway, and then obviously South Africa was was excellent. So, yeah, that you'd expect Munster to take it to another level now, particularly with their internationals back and um start to collect some points.
0: Yeah, and and even make it as bad as Munster have been, and I know that their fixtures list ahead is is quite tough, but the the table itself there is scope to move up that table pretty quickly because there isn't a huge amount between where Munster are. I, I can't remember exactly when the table knocking around 10th, we'll say, or, or even just below it and moving up into the, into the top half. Like there is, <clears throat> there's not much more than a win or two between those sides.
1: No, completely. I'm actually looking at the table here and you know, if they get, if they get maybe two wins, like it immediately brings them up to sixth in the table, you know, um, as Birch mentioned, I think the confidence that they'll take from how they played against Ulster and particularly that that game uh, against South Africa A is going to be huge, as well as that since they kind of stopped playing games during these international windows, um, it's very tough from a players and I, I can imagine, I can only imagine from a coach's point of view to actually keep keep players. Up if that makes sense, you know. Um so I'd say Munster were unbelievably thankful to to have that game in the middle, not just to you know, keep getting minutes into lads' legs, but on top of that, kind of let them have a focus, you know, let them have a match week because three weeks without a game, when you've been playing games consistently, as a player, it feels like an unbelievably long time. You know, you feel like you've gone off season, preseason, which is obviously a bit of a grind. Then into the season, and then you almost kind of feel like you're coming back into a a mini a mini preseason, you know, which can which can sometimes be be pretty taxing mentally. So, I think that that game against South Africa A hey, is going to stand Munster in in better stead than people might realise.
0: Yeah, even just in terms of the getting a couple of minutes into people and giving them a a little focus in between those those that three week break for sure and if nothing else like we got
1: Paddy Patterson's post match interview I mean, was, <laughs> which was a real gem
0: different different broadcaster we're not going to mention that one different broadcaster <laughs> <laughs> no um on um Leinster and glasgow Birch. before we before we finish up so obviously we're expecting they'll be resting a lot of their their front line players but it it does look like they might have Ryan Baird coming back in uh Ronan Keller potentially coming back in if not this week then then next week and you know, they're two players who six, seven months ago we would have considered to be an important part of the Ireland setup. And I know for Baird, obviously, it was he he would have probably had some involvement had it not been for that really bad concussion he got uh, a few weeks back uh, in that Sharks game. Keller's had his, his injury problems. So, you know, even from an Irish point of view, without the frontline internationals, there's a lot to be interested in, in with Leinster at the moment.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I met James Lowe. Um, on Saturday in the stadium, and he's only a couple of weeks away as well. So that's look at the reality is, um, uh, Leinster have more depth than than anyone else in this competition, and um, they can easily afford to not use their 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 international this week. We'll still put out a a phenomenal team like they've they're unbeaten so far. Um, they maybe aren't hitting the heights by that sharks game, um, that they have in previous seasons, but yet they're. They're tinkering with their game plan a little bit, um, and it's still very, very effective. So, yeah, you would expect RDS. You know, the the fellas, they have they had a bit of run out against Chile, but that was a, a younger team, and it was great to see them bring in some AIL players who who've been going well as well. Just to uh recognize that, but um, what I've always admired about Leinster is their ability to come from cold to hot very quickly. You know, and uh, they're not like other teams who maybe you know need two or three games to get going. They have been. Very good, and it's probably down to the level of competition of training, which Mick obviously has been a big part of. But um, you know that they're able to get match like simulation, um, a's, B's, um on a on a Tuesday, whereas other teams have to step it up then when they play. So um, yeah, it's great to see some of those players you mentioned come back, particularly Kelleher. Obviously, imagine being Ron Keller, seeing Dan Sheehan just take advantage of every minute that he's had and um, set the marker very high. But Kelleher, in his own right, is a is a very good hooker and um yeah from a leinster point of view having both those fellows go out over the next seven, eight, ten years. Um, you know, it's a it's a very healthy place to be.
0: Was James Loa uh giving you any co commentary tips, was he?
2: <laughs> um no I didn't ask him, but first I wouldn't need to ask him. He's not uh he's not the quietest guy around did he, did he, uh, he's did good you... value. Did you he's watch the? Value. Did Did no, you I watch didn't, the? I didn't know. I, uh, I heard game. he
0: was doing co-coms for chili, an absolute but, uh, natural, an absolute natural. He? I'm yeah, telling you. Of, he's,
2: very, he's very good value. Um, I did Your a shelf of life is
0: short here now, Birch. If he's going if, if James Lowe wants to retire anytime, <laughs> <he's laughs> I think, he, look at when his,
2: with his with his fashion sense and his uh, <laughs> his flowing locks, I think he'd be pitch side. He co-com won't be as glamorous enough for him. He'll Jamie Heath and those lads need to watch out.
0: Uh, Mick, finally, before we finish up, uh, on Ulster that win against Munster is, has been absolutely massive for them just before the break because they've been, you know, they lost out in that game against the Sharks and we don't know what's going to happen result-wise with that if they're going to be able to replay it, but they had to dog it out against Munster and I know it, it nearly went against them in the end, but that's going to be a massive, massive four points by the end of the season. Absolutely.
1: Like, geez, talk. It, it, sorry,
0: it, it gives them a bit of credit in
1: the bank over the next few weeks as well. For sure. Like, Talk about great signings. Like Rory Sutherland comes straight in, gets two unbelievable turnovers against Munster. You know, then Dwayne from Ewell obviously gets gets a big one at the end. But like if you were looking at it from a momentum graph point of view, I think if that game had gone on for a couple of minutes longer, Ulster were going to be in big trouble. Um they've got a nice, I suppose, like Dave Zebray at home uh on Friday night. Obviously, I played for both teams. Um, Zebra massively struggle. Um, coming to play against the Irish sides, particularly away, um, they'll have their internationals back. But like the internationals from Zebra are going to be fairly knackered, I'd say. Um, so it's 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 a nice way for Ulster to kind of ease themselves back into games following the following the mini preseason, as I called it earlier on. Um, and just just touching on Birch's point about how. How impressive leinster are in terms of going from from cold to hot um like in the training environment a's v b's i was i was on the b's more often than not and when you're actually getting that opportunity to play regardless of how much time has gone before where there's been no game where you haven't played you know that if you're not taking that opportunity or you're not making an impact on the game on top of doing what your core role is the likelihood of you getting a game when these kind of games come up again is pretty low um so i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to seeing a couple of guys getting a crack now this week if if the internationals aren't aren't playing for leinster um and you know I'm obviously always gunning for gunning for lads in those situations, so I hope they can they can all put in big performances.
0: Yeah, and that's actually like it's it's very similar to what Mike Prendergast was saying yesterday. We were asking him about the the ten situation there, and you know, are you getting to a point where you kind of just maybe have to nail your colours to to the mast of one player and give them an extended run? And he's kind of saying that you know the competition will sort itself out. That you know if if there's three players gunning for two spots. I mean, it's it's only really good for the team ultimately because if never mind if you have one player breathing down your neck, but if you have two players in your position breathing down your neck who are either in an international camp or on the fringes of an international camp, it's uh you know it, it has to drive performances. And if it doesn't, there's something drastically wrong. Not completely. Like one of Pat Lamb's favorite kind of quotes when
1: I was in Connacht was performance is your only currency. So, like, there's no point going and rattling on his front door after the team's being selected and saying, oh, you know, why aren't play playing this week? Because if you haven't played well, you can just literally swing the laptop around and go, well, what, what's the story with this? What's going on here? You know, and then you're being measured against a guy who's going for the same position who may have done those things better. So, you know, I think that's going to be, same going to apply for Munster. As you said, it's all just going to figure itself out. Whoever's performing the best is going to play and keen keen to get your thoughts like obviously Lencer joey left Lencer because he wanted to play 10 regularly and he you know he didn't want to play 15 a huge amount which is which is fine you know but i think it's going to be really interesting now over the next couple of weeks if crowley is playing really good rugby whether they do say geez we'd love to get joey on the pitch at the same time will we shift him back to 15 and what what the reaction is going to be off the back of that as well yeah i, I think
2: it's gonna be fascinating. Sorry, Neil. I think that's going to be fascinating because um, I'm not sure how much Joey wants to play fullback. Certainly, the the Conor Munster game when he played fullback, um, you know, he he didn't look very happy. He uh, didn't look very comfortable. Um, but look at for him as well and for Ireland, you know, um, if he's able to be a an outstanding fullback. Um, as well as being an outstanding ten, um, that gives our that, that improves Ireland and improves Munster. He, I'm sure, he preferred to be on the field and not on the field. Um, but look, it all depends on how bad his injury
0: is, and you know, um, he's what, due to what... he's due he's due to complete the return to play protocols this week, according to Munster. So the in the the plan or the the expectancy is that all things going to plan, he would be available for selection this weekend. Okay
2: look well, at yeah, it'd be interesting then what what Prendy does. I mean, I think you know from what I've read from Prendy and and heard from him, I think he he really sees Crowley as having um, a lot of the attributes to to implement the type of game he wants to play. And and it might be just look at Frisch is coming back now, and obviously he's he looks like a talented player. Mm. Um, it's not all on 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 Joey at all. Um, uh, Joey's obviously capable of getting you know the monster attack going, but. It was probably unlucky for him that Fekitoa hadn't really found his feet. Just things weren't happening for them, um, and now we see Crowley, and we're thinking, right, maybe he's the key to it. Well, it. might it might be just the time in the saddle that Joey will have had under Prendy, and obviously other personnel stepping up that uh, both can play a very uh, a key role in in Munster's attacking game evolving.
0: Yeah, going to be really interesting to see over this block of games who gets the the the, the bulk of the minutes, uh, particularly with Champions Cup and and big interpro matches as well. But um. Bernard, Mick, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million for joining us. Uh Mick Thanks, very best of luck this weekend against the Terranure Barchevier match with Becktiv.
2: Yeah, we're playing um we're playing Gory, tough game on, on Saturday and no, then down to down to Limerick afterwards for CoCom for Munster Connacht, So looking forward to that. Busiest.